Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. So this morning, I want to talk to you about prayer. I want to talk about prayer, and we may have a few weeks, but as an introduction, I talked to you last week about time, a little bit, a little bit, because we're, we're rolling into 2020, and uh, if I've heard it once, I've probably heard it a million times about 2020 vision, and it's a new year, and, uh, but, you know, time, what, what is time? What is time? Time, in, you know, to, to put a definition on it, it's, it's a duration, but it's a relative duration. It's something compared to something else. Really, we need, uh, we need a frame of reference for time. For example, the, the one revolution of the earth around the sun, the earth's movement relative to the sun, when it goes around one time, we call it a year, right? We call it a year. That's how we measure one year, because there's this relative motion of the earth around the sun, but the sun's moving too. Everything's moving. And we also have days, one rotation of the earth, and hours and minutes and you know months and seconds, all of it. And that's how we say we measure time, right? And time's interesting. We might call it a, we might call it a commodity or a resource, but it's an interesting resource, isn't it? We can measure it, sure. But the tangibility of time is kind of strange, isn't it? Because we can't really see it. We can't see time. Now, maybe if you look in the mirror like I do every morning, you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I see time because I'm looking at an old man now. Uh, but that's not really seeing time, is it? That's just seeing the effects of time, or change over time, we might say. We can't see it. We can't hold it. We can't touch it. Now, over the holidays, some of you probably said, well, I had some time off. But you really didn't have any time off, did you? Because time kept moving on. There were still 24 hours in a day. You still had to, you still had to live through it. We might say we've saved time. Well, who's ever saved time? We can't save time or store it up. That was, uh, that was the, uh, the fantasy of Jim Croce to save time in a bottle. Can't, but you can't do it. You just can't do it. You can't hoard it. You can't save it. You can't steal it. I, I think I said this last week. The richest person in the world and the poorest person in the world, they all have exactly the same 24 hours in a day. 60 minutes every hour, 60 seconds every minute. The rich guy doesn't get more than the poor guy. It's, it's, it, can't be, it can't be held more by one than another. So the old saying is true. Time waits for no man. It just keeps on going. And then we have a God who's outside of time, 
Our God is eternal. He's unaffected by this thing called time. He invented this strange commodity or resource called time. And he's not affected by it at all. God's eternal. God is timeless. He stands outside of time. So God knows the past and the future all at once. He has no beginning. He has no end. I can't comprehend it. I can't comprehend that because I live in time. I look in a mirror and I see time go by, so to speak, and I see myself age. But the eternal God, he took it upon himself to step into this thing called time. God became a man, Jesus. He put himself into what he created, time. So the eternal God that has no beginning, no end, and I still can't comprehend that. You know, I say it, it just, it makes our minds melt. What does that even mean to not have a beginning or an end? And yet the God without a beginning or an end stepped into time. And Jesus, when he was here and he walked the earth, he used words that were about time, that implied or indicated time. And one of those words that Jesus used was the word when. When. When is a word that implies time. When is not a word that we can really use in a present situation. When is a word that denotes a past or a future. And typically, the word when is connected to something. It's connected to an outcome. It's connected to an event, either an event in the past, an event in the future. When you were born, well, that recalls a past event. When you die, well, that implies a future. It implies something that's going to occur in the future. I want to consider today, and not just today, but in the weeks to come, some of the when statements in the Bible, and in particular those said by Jesus. The when statements, too, that are forward-looking, that expect something. They expect a future result. They, they expect an event. And I want to take some of the words of Jesus this morning from Matthew chapter 6, about prayer. As I said, I'll be talking about prayer this morning. But some very brief background before getting into Matthew 6. What is this about, this section of the, the Gospel of Matthew? Well, Jesus had, at this time, recently begun his public ministry. And he had gone about this region of Galilee where he was from. He, w he went around teaching but he had also been healing, and he was healing many. And uh, large crowds began to follow Jesus because of this healing. And in today's vernacular, we would say that the news of Jesus' healing went viral. People began to follow him. And not like they follow people today all digitally. No, people can have tons of digital followers. Jesus had literal 
followers. Large crowds of people from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the surrounding region. And they were literally following him as he traveled across the region, large crowds. And one day, as these huge crowds were following Jesus, he went up on a hillside or a mountainside and he began to teach. And what unfolded has come to be known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that's Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching things that were really new to people. He was turning conventional wisdom on its head. He had new ways of looking at things like anger and adultery and divorce and uh, making vows and uh, retribution, dealing with your enemies. And all the ways that Jesus looked at these things were really piercing to the heart because that's what he would get at was the heart of the matter. With divorce, he said, you know, you give divorce because you have a hard heart. That's, in Moses' day, that was, the, that was why he allowed it. But Jesus would say, I say unto you something different. And it was often, look at it, you know, look at it through the lens of love and check your own heart. So he had some things to say also about prayer. And he gave practical instruction. Practical instruction in Christian life, not just in prayer, but in other areas, as he taught these people while he was sitting on the mountainside. So I want to read you what Jesus had to say to the multitudes that were following him about prayer, and pay attention to the word when. So this is Matthew chapter 6, and it's verses 5 through 13. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, teaching about prayer. He said this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This was... Jesus' instruction on prayer. And he began with, when you pray. So there's that time word. There's that time word. Was he recalling something from the past? Or was he looking forward to something in the future? He was looking forward. This is really an implied command. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. 
If gives you the option, doesn't it? If really gives you an out. If is perhaps you will, but maybe you won't. So Jesus didn't say, if you pray. He said, when. And when assumes the outcome. When you pray. That means at some point, you will pray. So Jesus was making this point to all these people who were following him. If you'd be my disciple, you will pray when you pray. And these are the first recorded words in the New Testament of Jesus instructing on prayer. And I find it interesting that he began his instruction with a negative. What not to do. And we should probably pay attention. See, God gives us a lot of liberty. God gives us much liberty. But it's liberty within limits, within boundaries. And do not, if there's a negative, do not, that sets a boundary. You remember the Garden of Eden? You remember Adam? He had all kinds of liberty. Oh, God made this great earth for him, put him in a garden, told him to work it. Hey, you can work this thing. Asked him to name all the animals you know, and, and tend to this great garden. He had all kinds of freedom. One do not. One do not. Do not eat from that tree. As a matter of fact, do not touch this one tree. And isn't that the way it always seems to go when we get a do not in our life? Suddenly it becomes attractive. When I was a kid, I didn't get in so much trouble when I didn't do what I was supposed to do. If it was, hey, would you set the table? And I forgot to set the table. Yeah, the hammer would come down. Hey, you were supposed to set the table. Get on it. But if it was, do not. Um, don't go to that kid's house. He's a, that's a bad kid. You know, you're going to fall into a bad group. Well, as soon as I heard that, of course I'm over to that kid's house, right? Do not. You want to test the boundary. So it, it seems that these are, they're important. It's the important thing. So Jesus says, when you pray, do not. And what does he say? Do not be like the hypocrites. Well, how do the hypocrites pray? Well, they love to pray standing on the street corners and in the synagogues. So is Jesus condemning praying and, and standing? Do we have to sit down when we pray? Or can we stand and we pray? What about in public? Is he condemning public prayer? All these hypocrites love to stand on the street corners and in the synagogues. They stand in public. Is that the condemnation? No, that's not the condemnation. Outside the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus is recording his standing and looking to heaven and praying. And he was in public. 
He was in the presence of many others. So standing and praying, this isn't what Jesus is condemning. That, that's okay. You, if you want to stand up and pray, absolutely. You want to pray in public, for sure. But do not pray like the hypocrites who pray the way they do for a purpose. It's a matter of the heart. To be seen by others. Ah, here it is again. As Jesus had done through Matthew chapter 5, he's pointing to a matter of the heart, the motive of the heart, and he's cautioning against vanity and pride and praying with an inflated self of, uh, an inflated uh, sense of self-importance. And think about that for a minute. These are Jesus' first instructions on prayer. Don't pray to be seen. Now, some of us might be offended by that. Does Jesus really think that of me? Does he think that low of me? I mean, what kind of person does he think I am that I would need this warning? Does he really think I'd pray to be seen by others? And I think if Jesus, who is, is God in the flesh, he knows the human heart, if he said it, we might want to consider it and really think about what he said thoughtfully and examine our motive in prayer because Jesus is condemning hypocrisy. And if this is his first instruction on prayer, maybe we should just personally you know, do that self-examination, look inside. He condemned hypocrisy, but he went on to commend sincerity. Condemned hypocrisy, commend sincerity. When you pray, now there's his next when statement. When you pray, go into your room. So after his negative now, he turns it and says, here's, how to, here's, here's what you do. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, who he's unseen, you can't see him. Then your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus isn't commanding that every prayer must be made in a dark closet either. No. Again, his sermon on the mount, time and again at this point, had, had been about matters of the heart. He was addressing motivation. And he pointed out the outward pride of the hypocrites who want others to see them. And he makes a contrast. He, he contrasted this hypocrisy with an image of humility. Be all alone, where it's just between you and God. No one can see. Approach God that way. Approach God humbly. As if no one's looking. There's no show going on. Nobody's listening to see the words you use. Nobody's watching to see how holy you are. Make it just between you and him. And Jesus said, though you can't see God, he can see you. And you know what? He can see your heart. And when he observes the sincerity and the genuine prayer, a petition, a request from the heart, that's between you and him, then God rewards that. He rewards what's done in secret. And then Jesus went on. Another negative, another do not. When you pray, 
do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Okay, there it is again. Lord, you're piercing me. Ah, I, I could be offended by this. I might just be walking away now. Seriously, Jesus thinks this is what he thinks about us. When we pray, it's all about us. It's all about us. I'm like this hypocrite. It's all about me. I want to make a show of it. And he thinks just like these babblers. We just babble like the pagans. But we could get offended by this. How do the pagans pray after all? I'm reminded of the Old Testament. The incident of Elijah and the, the prophets of the false god Baal. And they were praying. They were praying, asking their false god Baal to light their sacrifice on fire. And what did the pagans do? For hours, they shouted. They shouted, Baal, hear us. Baal, answer us. Baal, hear us. Baal, answer us. On and on. Same thing over and over again. And nothing happened. And when their prayer was fruitless, they danced around frantically and they took their swords and they began to slash their flesh until it bled. And it was all in vain. Nothing happened. And then Elijah, he prayed this two-sentence prayer. But it was sincere. It was from the heart. And Elijah's sacrifice lit up. And his sacrifice was burned up and so was the wood and so was the soil and so was all the water around it. And all the people fell down trembling before God. So Jesus said, when you pray, don't babble like the pagans. And that might be a good example to think about those pagans who were babbling. But he's not saying you can't be persistent. He's not saying that you can't be continual in your prayer. You can. And Jesus at one time said, Luke chapter 18, pray and don't give up. And then he went on to give parables about persistent prayer. If, if you go knock on the judge's door over and over again, finally he'll take care of you. So you can be persistent. But he says, don't babble like a pagan. Don't give rote lip service with a disengaged heart. Go before God sincerely. So Jesus, after two negatives... Do not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, do not be like the pagans. Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you pray. And he gave us a model. He gave us an example, a prototype prayer. Our Father in heaven. That's how he started. Now, again, picture yourself as, as one of Jesus' original audience. Remember, these were people from Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, all following him, all just average, everyday Jewish people. And he had already perhaps offended them, saying, don't pray standing up, you know, like the leaders you see in the synagogues. Don't say a whole bunch of words over and over again. And they might have been thinking, wow, 
What, what does he think we are? And then he starts this model prayer, Our Father. And this is new and something perhaps even shocking to these people. Their holy book is our Old Testament. Their holy book, they called the Torah, our whole Old Testament. And how was God addressed in the Old Testament? Well, he, he was addressed a number of ways. He's addressed as uh, God Almighty. Uh, he's called the Lord, the Lord God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Jehovah, the God of Abraham, the God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. These are some of the names, some of the real common names and titles that God was ascribed in the Old Testament. And they speak of God's awesome and glorious power and his holiness. And they were, as I said, common ways for God to be addressed. But when you pray, Jesus said, here's how you address God. Father. Not not the, the name of awesome power, but the name of love, a name expressing his love, his care for us as a child. Jesus said, Father. And to his audience, this must have been remarkable. It must have been remarkable. And sure, there were seeds that had been planted in the New Testament about this idea that God was Father, but it was seldom. It wasn't the norm. Moses told the Old Testaments they had forgot God, the Father that had birthed them. Speaking about the nation of Israel, the prophet Isaiah said, yet you, Lord, are our Father. The prophet Jeremiah said, as he quoted God, these were the words of God. I am Israel's father. So in these few instances, these seldom mentioned ascriptions of God as father, it was God is called the father to the nation. So it was more of a, it was more of a you know, corporate presentation of God as father. But Jesus, as he had done throughout his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, he was he was turning over conventional thinking. And he said something about God here that probably stunned the audience. When you pray, say, Father, not Almighty God, Heavenly, Fa Heavenly God of hosts, or Jehovah God, Lord of hosts. When you pray, say, Father, you'll see God as a, a child sees a loving parent. And that had to rock their world, really. And this is, this is an image that is totally different than what they would have been brought up with. The image of God to, to these people would have been more so the image of God on the mountain with Moses, where there was lightning and thunder. It's uh, Exodus 20. There, lightning and thunder and a thick cloud and the people trembled before Moses and they said, they said, speak to us yourself. Moses, you talk to us and we'll listen to you. But don't have God speak to us. 
Why? They said it. Don't have God speak to us or we're going to die. I mean, this was the, this was the vision of God, this, this God of awesome thunder and lightning power that they would just couldn't even approach. This is the prevailing image of God. But Jesus introduced an altogether new way to view God. God is not this austere, impersonal, remote, unapproachable, uh, full of power, uh, awesome power, and a dictator. No, when you pray, see God as Father. Father. Now, last Sunday, we talked a bit about it. We saw how the Apostle Paul encouraged the Galatian churches to see God this way. They had strayed from their faith. And they had fallen back into the ways of Judaism. And their view of God had been blurred. And Paul wrote this, I read it last week, Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You are his sons. God God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. He expounded on this idea that Jesus had laid out there in Matthew chapter 6, our Father, Remember what I said last week about this word Abba. Abba was a word reserved for those who only, only those who had the right, the right to say, you're my father. A slave could not use this word Abba toward his master. But if he were adopted, if he were adopted into the family, then he had that right to say, Father, Abba. And he could say, I'm an heir. I'm an heir of of the Father. My inheritance is as equal as the natural child because I am an heir. So Paul spoke of this privilege of calling God Father. And really, at that time, Christianity is not that new. It's still relatively a new thing, recently granted to mankind on their receiving the spirit of adoption and being made the children of God. Call on God, Father. He's the Father, but do so from your heart, not in vain words, not in rote, empty lip service. Call God, Father, with sincerity of heart, for God has taken into his favor, us, who he considers his children. And he's appointed to us an inheritance, eternal life, all of us who are brothers and sisters of, of Christ. And that's an amazing, an amazing transformation from what the that audience that was listening to Jesus must have understood God to be. And I, I want to make one more point. One more point about Jesus' words and his model prayer and that example that he gave us. Just one little word. One little word at the beginning of Jesus' instruction on prayer. 
And, and it's interesting, especially in the light of Jesus giving the instruction, don't make a show of prayer. Don't make a show. Go into your room all by yourself. You alone. You alone. Go in and be in solitude or, or have that attitude. Even if you're with a group of people, just have the attitude of you're alone. And then Jesus began this example prayer with the word our. Our. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father. Not my Father. And isn't that interesting? Go alone. Go alone in your room. But don't say my Father. Say our Father. And then throughout the whole prayer, throughout the whole, the whole example prayer there, Jesus is using plural pronouns. Our Father, give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive. Lead us, us. Deliver us. And what might Jesus be trying to teach everyone through this? You know, when you pray, and you pray alone, and you're in solitude, and you've gone into that prayer closet, God is still the Father of us all. And as we pray, we pray not just for ourselves alone. We pray for others. Praying alone doesn't mean that it's got to totally be self-focused prayer. Remember, the whole family of God. Remember the whole family of God on earth. When you pray, our Father, bear in mind, God has other children. And, and I think Jesus may have subtly been saying this through his model prayer. Bear in mind, God has other children. And those children of God equally fall under his mercy and his love and his grace just as each one of us do. And we should remember, too, that if we are all the ch children of one common Father God, we are called to live as brothers and sisters. So Jesus offers us throughout this instruction on prayer, and it's an opportunity to look inside, to self-examine. When we say, our Father, just remember it. Now, every time that prayer is prayed, we have the opportunity to pray, our Father. Remember, it's a declaration that recognizes we're part of a family, the family of God on earth. Because it's not just my Father. It's, he's, he's not just individually alone, my Father, and none of yours. No, he's our Father. And we have this great family of God on earth. So as a member of the family of God, do we love? Do we love as brothers and sisters? Do we as siblings in the family of God, do we live in, in unity and peace as we should? Do we have each other's back? Are we helping each other? Are we considering another's difficulties Maybe when we're basking in blessing. Or are we rejoicing in the great blessing of another, one of our brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Although we might not share such a blessing. And maybe we're even suffering. Can we still give thanks and say, God, thank you for blessing that person? And are we concerned for the welfare of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ? And not just in their body, not just their, their, their physical health, but for their soul too. You know, as members of this great family, are we praying not just for ourselves alone, but in the same breath are we praying for our brothers and sisters? By this little word, by this one little word that Jesus used to start his prayer, our we're reminded of that bond that we share that links us all together as children of the same Father. The bond of the Spirit, as Paul called it, the bond of the Spirit of his Son, Jesus, that he has sent into our hearts. The Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. You know, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when you pray. And especially when you pray, as Jesus has instructed, let's do as he has offered to us. And as we're reminded of that great worldwide family of God, we're all together under this roof here as a smaller scale family. The church here is a family inside of a family. We're a family within that great family of God. The church here, the local church, it's our primary place to learn and to grow spiritually, to worship together, to fellowship, to serve one another, and to pray. And to pray as Jesus taught us. And like a family, the church offers relationship and connection. It's a place where we can be kept accountable to one another while we are also in submission to the leaders of the church who would give us spiritual guidance and discipline and direction. And you can't get any of that. You can't get any of that if you hop around from church to church to church. You're not gonna find yourself in a place of accountability. You might not even find yourself in a place where another can pray for you because they don't even know you because you were at that church for just a little while and they moved to this church and you're just moving all around. You know, as part of a family, that means we... Stick together. Even if one of the brothers or sisters kind of rubs us the wrong way. I mean, that can happen. But a family deals with it. Especially a, a local church family. So to be a member of a church, it's not inconsequential. It's actually important. And we want to recognize that. We want to recognize that as we bring our service to a close this morning. And we're going to pray over a couple of people who have, who have said, this is going to be my family, my local church. It's going to be my home. And so as we close this morning, we want to bless a couple people. And we'll bless them in prayer. And as you leave this morning, keep in mind the way that Jesus taught us to pray. And keep it in front of you. For, for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about when... You, these words that Jesus offered to us, and it's gonna teach us some things. But as we close, two, two folks coming this morning to be added to the membership. First is Sherla Schaller. Sherla's a really great addition. She's always bright, smiling, 
and early as she was this morning despite the snow. And along with Sherla this morning, Ann Thompson. And Ann is also uh, a bright, bright addition. Uh, she's been here for a while. And we're glad that you ladies have decided to call this Bethesda Christian Church your home. Uh, our elders, Dale and Angel Flowers, are going to come and uh, bless them. I just invite you all to stand as we pray and close our service this morning. And as we pray a blessing on these two ladies, don't rush out. When I say amen, and you're accustomed to going to those doors in the back, come forward. Come forward and greet Sherla and Anne and welcome them. Welcome them to this local family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the instruction that you've given us in your word. Thank you, God. You're awesome. There's none like you. Father in heaven, you've given us this privilege, this privilege to call you Father, and we do that. We do that, Father, as your children. And as your children, this morning, we ask a great blessing on these two before us, Sherla and Anne. God, that you would bless them, that your hand would be upon them as they're added to this local fellowship, as they're added to this local body, God, that you would expose in them gifts, talents, that they could be used to the greater good of your kingdom. God, expand them. Lord, use them beyond what even they can think. Lord, we pray that uh, as they're here tomorrow, the next days, weeks, months, years, however long, Lord, you have for them, that they would be uh, just used here in a great and powerful way. May they add to this church great things, Lord. We pray over them that blessing, and we ask your Holy Spirit God, to do great things in them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus for the great many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. The blessings of family, the blessings of family here, the spiritual family, that we can all call each other brothers and sisters of Christ. That's a great thing. Now, Lord, as we leave today, help us to be reminded throughout the week that we are brothers and sisters as we yield to you and bow our heads in prayer throughout the week, God, help us to be mindful of what Jesus taught us and remember others and remember others as we pray and we ask for forgiveness to keep all our brothers and sisters in Christ in mind. Thank you for his teaching. Thank you for his blessing. God, bless all here. Keep them safe as they go, Lord. And any and all who couldn't make it this morning, whether it be from sickness or weather, Lord, bless them. And Lord, we ask that great grace. We ask that, God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen.